Welcome to Welcome to Primetime, a show covering the Freddy Krueger-hosted anthology series Freddy's Nightmares, one episode at a time. I'm Brennan Klein. Every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you. You get one new episode for every donation. Please help us keep going by giving to The Okra Project, an organization that is working to feed black trans people in need. You can find out how to donate in the show notes. This week's patron is Chaz Monkey, and this week's guest... I'm very excited. It's actress, filmmaker, and e-reader, co-host of Reading Glasses, <laughs> writer-director of 12-Hour Shift, and the writer of the upcoming graphic novel, Mary. It's Bria Grant. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi. I'm glad that you said I'm an e-reader. What, what insider info? It's good to know. <laughs> Look, everybody needs to know your whole deal, even though <laughs> they already should be listening to Reading Glasses, and they should have heard you and experienced you in every way possible already. Well, I totally appreciate it, and I'm very pro e-reading, so I, I, that should always be in my introduction. Look, I do my best. I do my research, <laughs> um, but so my audience doesn't necessarily do their research, so why don't you tell them a little bit about the, your, the movie that you have coming out and your graphic novel? Yeah, um, I wrote and directed a film called 12-Hour Shift. It is a dark comedy with... Um, a lot of horror horror genre elements. Um, it stars Angela Bettis of uh, May fame. Um, David Arquette is in it. Mick Foley is in it. And it's about a group of nurses in the 90s who are selling organs on the black market. And it all takes place over one 12-hour shift inside a hospital. And it's out October 2nd on VOD everywhere. And then, weirdly, I wrote a graphic novel, which I've been writing for years, and it comes out on October 4th, and it's called Mary, and it's about the descendant of Mary Shelley, uh, the fictional descendant of Mary Shelley, I should say, um, who uh, finds out that um, she is a liaison and a doctor to the world of monsters that she did not even know existed. And it's, it's YA and science fiction, and it's super fun. So all in all, a pretty low-key week for you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, par it's kind for of the crazy. course. Uh, you know, I did. I somehow I didn't know. Like, it, what you don't know about movie. What I never know about movies, but you never know when they're going to come out. Like, they get bought, and then all of a sudden you get an email, and I was like, "Wait, what? This is the same time my graphic novel is coming out, which I did know about." So it was kind of a shock to realize that all this stuff was going to happen at the same time. But at least I can talk about it all at the same time, and and promote it at the same time. I guess. But. Yeah, two birds, one stone, and all that. <laughs> That's, yes, exactly, exactly. And it's not like it's two movies that are competing with each other. It's like you can, you can read and also watch a movie in a day and, you know, have a full experience. I would suggest that you do. This would make a great double feature. Very weird double feature, but, <laughs> but both have to do with body parts, I guess. So that, 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 that's maybe the, the, the theme. Yeah, um, just do both and just try to dive deep into Bria's subconscious and just see what's working on, what's going on in there. It's a scary place to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of scary places to be, we have gathered here today to talk about season one, episode 21 of Freddy's Nightmares. It's called Identity Crisis. Mm -hmm. um, the original air date was May 21st, 1989. Here's what you could have watched in theaters instead of this episode, or in addition to. Um, that weekend saw the premiere of Fright Night Part 2, mm. uh, Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze, and Miracle Mile, which is a wild movie. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Okay. I actually just did, I did a live reading of Roadhouse, and I hadn't seen it in a long time, and that's a wild movie, too. That movie's crazy. 
Like, what a triple feature that weekend would have been, and then adding <laughs> this episode on top of it. <laughs> well, this episode, I mean, speaking of wild, so many things happening here. Oh, my God. Bria. Um, <laughs> first of all, um, before we dive deep into it, this episode was written by Rebecca Pagrau, um, who was an executive assistant on the show. Um, so I'm glad they had that, uh, you know, chin. Uh, develop like corporate development chain going on. There, you, there you go. You know what I love when there is a lady writer, a, a woman, female writer name on a show. I do always notice it, especially like of this era. So I was like, I made a note of it that I was like, oh look, it, it's a lady writer, which is kind of exciting. Oh, it's very exciting. And this show has had, I think this is the second female writer, and we also had a female director on an episode, wow. which is unusual for the time. Um, it's completely unusual. I, I mean, even I always tell people like I, in all the TV that I've acted in, I've worked with two female directors total. That's that's just so sad. Yes, <laughs> uh, it's just there's not that many of them. So that that's cool that they had one. I mean, yes, it'd be great if they had a lot, but it's cool they had one. Yeah, and look, and, and Elm Street has kind of surreptitiously been doing this because also we have later in the 90s Rachel Talalay directed Freddy's Dead the Final Nightmare of course yeah um so women are making Freddy things and I really appreciate that even though <laughs> yeah. obviously it should be more sure yeah but I mean better than the than a lot of the other major franchises are doing honestly yeah cough cough every other franchise um, <laughs> Uh, the director of this episode, Womp Womp, is a man. It's David Calloway. Um, he's the director of photography for the entire series, except this episode. <laughs> oh, wow. So um, you let him have a shot at directing. Yeah, really. I guess, because like, this is actually, this is towards the end of the season. This is the penultimate episode of season one. So I guess they were just like, all right, everyone who's been hanging out in the office the whole time paying their dues, you get a <laughs> shot. You get a shot. <laughs> Sounds like it, actually. Yeah, I mean, good for them. Mm -hmm. Um the cast we have here, we have as Christina, uh, Kimberly Cates, who was, uh, she was Princess Elizabeth in Bill and Ted's mm -hmm. Excellent Adventure. Yeah. And as the character of Buddy, we have Jess Con uh, Jeff Conaway, who is Kaniki from Greece. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. I didn't put that together. Interesting. No, he looks completely different. Um, you know, he's, he's no longer an adult playing a teenager. He's now an adult playing an adult. So it's, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I have to look up a photo of him right now. Oh, you're oh, right. Wow. Isn't yeah, that wild? That is him. Yeah, although he kind of has this exact same hair, weirdly. He does, and I did not notice. I was getting really major um, Steve from Sex and the City vibes from him. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. Yes, very much. Because every, every time he's like, I can't handle this. Um, yeah, and kind of the mouth area is a little Steve from Sex and the City. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, he doesn't have the the raw sensuality of Steve from Sex and the City. <laughs> um, but anyway, <laughs> and, and the son John is played by Gabriel Jarrett, who is the second lead in Real Genius. So we have we have a lot of people in this episode. Very cool. Wow, I didn't realize that either. Yeah, no, look, I, I do the research and then I'm like, I should rewatch this episode because now I know all these things. <laughs> um, okay, so um, Bria, I forgot to prep you for this part, but Basically, how this next part goes is I'm going to kind of run us through the plot of the episode. I'm going to pause at points, but also feel free to inter interrupt me at any time if I trigger a memory, an emotion, something you want to say about this episode. Perfect. Yes. Ready. Okay. Fade in. <laughs> um, we're with uh, Buddy at work. 
his friend is leaving the office, which is seems to be in some sort of dusty basement. <laughs> Yeah, that's that feels about right. By the way, I because well, I watched two of these. I can mm -hmm. um, and just coming from a production side of things, I can tell when they're reusing sets quite a bit um, and like have redressed them. Um, and this felt like very much like a set I'd seen you see kind of throughout. But anyway, keep going. Oh yeah, it, honestly, it might be Freddy's boiler room. It is a grim architect office. <laughs> yes, yes, very much so. Um, yeah, so his friend is leaving for the day. He's like. Why aren't you leaving? I'm leaving to go to your birthday party. <laughs> um, Buddy is sad that he's turning 40. Um, <laughs> which which I'm offended by. I'm very yeah. offended by all of this. <laughs> yeah, it's also, uh, it's, you know, it's a whole thing. Well, the um, whole premise is that he's like, I am too old. I'm so old. And it's like, sir, you're only 40 years old, which is very close for me. That's around the corner. So I, I'm... And and also he he doesn't quite look forty so but I have I'll we can get into that because I have issues with the age of all of how old everyone looks in this episode but I that do is love a that he's very excited about the it. Show. Okay, good. All right, good. <laughs> um, but anyway, so whether or not he is old, he thinks he's old, and that you know mm -hmm. you're you're as old as you feel, and he feels ancient. Right. Um, he is then, uh, he goes out to his car. He's stabbed in the parking lot by some young punks who say out with the old because they also recognize his internal feelings. <laughs> yeah, very much. And as always happens when he gets stabbed, he enters the dream realm. Uh-huh. And so basically he imagines himself getting kidnapped by this group of young people who are saying things like for the corporation. It's very 1984, but businessy. Businessy and also borderline Nazi-ish, or or at very least, very least communist. But like, how could it be communist? I had a lot of trouble with with uh, what they were supposed to represent. But the more I got into it, the more I was like, oh, it's just '80s consumerism. That's yeah. what they were going. That was what they were going for. Because at first I was like, oh, they're. I think this may just be where we're at current, like current politics, where I was like, they're Nazis. And, and then I was like, oh, no, they're just consumers. <laughs> yeah, well, they're capitalists, actually. Yeah, no, they, they're 100% capitalists. So I guess it's not a communist thing. But the, the uh, iconography the outfits that they're are kind using. Of, yeah, because the outfits are like that sort of like beige color. Like there's just certain things about them that struck me as more, um, yeah, like, like, a different, a different '80s, like '70s, '80s thing. But no, it was—it's just about the consumerism. Yeah. Well, politically, this episode's playing a, a high wire act that I don't understand. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah. So basically, in this kidnapped place, he has to answer for his crimes and outdated values. And the person who's kidnapped him points a lamp at his own face to reveal that he's um, Buddy's son, John. And mm -hmm. he says, "Too late, Daddy," before shooting him with the machine gun. Which, nice, yeah. yeah, which is, you know, how I end all of my trysts, but um, <laughs> no, that, that, mm, that's a dark joke. I, I regret making it. I take No, that d please don't regret that. That's okay. very funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, okay. So he wakes up from this dream. He goes down to the breakfast table where John's eating and they're basically t talking about their different philosophies because his wife comes down and is parsing out the mail. Um, Buddy's getting Greenpeace monthly in the Save oh the Whales God. newsletter. Save the Whales, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like the most on the nose, like in case you didn't understand, which 
to be fair, you and I both totally did not understand. So maybe we did need this bit of exposition to be like, here are all of, because what did the son get? The son got something it's very funny stuff. Oh God, I don't remember the exact, it's it's something like the Wall Street Journal. It's something faint. It's like a stock portfolio or something. Yeah, something, something like that. Because um, he's talking about you got to buy a stock in Chemco or whatever. And the dad's like, you just care about money. And the son says, well, I don't just care about money. It's no good if you can't buy fast cars and faster women. The 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, the dad and the son look about five years apart to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the son is like, if the dad's 40, the son is 35. <laughs> like, it's, it's like there's not that big of a difference to the, between them. But fine. I, I understand what we're doing. Yeah, you, you know, it's, well, this show, the teenagers are all minimum 35 years old. It right. Is, well, I mean, I guess it's an homage to Greece because everyone was way too old for their characters as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Or a little bit of the OC, I feel like they were also, I felt oh, like God, incredibly yeah. old. Yeah. Um, but th- this is where we kind of hammer down what this episode's trying to say. And I do think that the 80s might be the only decade where any sort of narrative could say, wow, <laughs> this young generation is so much more conservative than their parents. Yeah, you know, I kind of loved it because I was not a teenager in the 80s. And uh, I, I, it's an era that I feel like I don't totally understand because of that, that it was like teenagers were into consumerism and they went, were into like, yeah, cocaine and fast cars and that was yeah. what was cool. And, and like stock portfolios, like, man. Yeah, screw you parents and you're like recycling and stuff. Whereas now like, you know, every generation is more and more left. It feels like that's the one that swung in the different direction, which is funny. It's so strange. I mean, look, the Reagan era will do that to you, I guess. I guess so. I guess. I don't know. It's um, a real reaction to the 60s, I, I think, but... Oh, and we'll, um, we'll get to some more of that Oh, as yes, well. yes, yes, let's, let's. <laughs> okay, well, first of all, Freddie appears for his little interstitial moment. He's superimposed inside the microwave. He says, like... Um, I, I, which I loved, by the way. And oh. That, when that came out, I was like, I am sold on this episode and this show. <laughs> it's adorable. Um, he says something like, he's behind the times, give him some food for thought. It's vaguely related, because they're he- eating food. Um, but then, he sparks and explodes inside the microwave. And this is this is a new element because so far he does show up to interact with like portions of the episode, but lately they've been kind of turning on him and destroying him. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, like there's the last one we talked about was uh, set in a sewer and he got eaten by an albino alligator at one point. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. His his own dream world is kind of turning on him, which is interesting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. Um, okay, so Buddy is being hired to design this like big bank in Coldwater Valley. His boss, who is a quote-unquote 25-year-old fascist, who is giving me major Julian Sands and Warlock vibes. Oh, see, I was thinking um, American Psycho. That was what I, I felt when I saw him. Okay, well, that's the smarter thing to think. <laughs> no, yours works too. I think they both I, work. <laughs> I was just I was reacting more to the ponytail than anything. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. Very weird. Also, that guy he's the one who said he's twenty five, right? Which I'm yes. also like, no, you're you're also forty. Yeah, no, it it's everyone's the exact same age playing any role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's basically like when you make a web series with your friends and when you first move to L.A. and like 
you're just like we're all the same age but some of us have to pretend like we're older so that way it looks like there's an age, there's a range of ages in this series yeah no it, it's it's it definitely reeks of we have the limited options of like who we have in the room yeah exactly exactly um yeah so they're building this bank for their biggest client the springwood national bank because as as all small ohio towns have a huge national bank corporation <laughs> um so basically we get a little moment where his stomach starts bleeding through his shirt and you're like well that's definitely gonna come back later mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um he sees his son reading this like classified folder he's like it's a school project and basically he stops by his son's class and he sees them all in like corporate american psycho garb and sunglasses and they see him as this mustachioed hippie like he looks like the cover of Sgt. Pepper's. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just the quintessential, like, this is what we think think hippies look like. Which um, I did kind of like that they kind of flashed to that because as a person who, because watching it, he didn't feel like a hippie except for his male. And yes. I guess, you know, like, there, other than that, I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to identify this guy as. So when they flashed him as that, I was like, oh, I see. I understand, like, when you show that kind of, like, iconography, it made sense to me. Yes, no, it definitely helps because he is a corporate stooge guy. And I guess we get into that at a certain point. Mm -hmm. But the the thing that makes him like counterculture is that he doesn't like to wear suits. <laughs> he just wears like a yeah. rumpled button down to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so his coworker Fred has vanished. He finds out that Fred was corrected, mm -hmm. which means he was frozen in carbonite. <laughs> 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 which was very fun <laughs> it was it was it was cute i was like honestly sign me up that sounds great right now <laughs> and you know at the very least i was like i feel like they have a theme and like the theme is like you know you don't want to get old and age and become lame i guess and like stick with the times and so he's literally frozen in time which i which i kind of like that's a, i i love that metaphor I hope they were going for that. Okay, maybe that made me overthinking. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I want to give um, this the benefit of the doubt. Um, okay, okay. Because I feel like I'm I'm poisoned by having watched 20 of these beforehand, and <laughs> sometimes I get a little bitter. <laughs> but yeah, so basically, Buddy is captured and taken to a trial to determine his relevance to society. He does have a lawyer, but his lawyer is basically Cheech and or Chong. <laughs> absolutely totally that's what they were going for oh yeah and and the, basically they're kind of grilling him on like when did you last actually volunteer for any of these causes you claim to care about and they kind of call him out for no longer living up to his values which you'd think they would want um it's unclear oh, yeah, why this is bad good. to them yeah that's a good point i mean i guess they're just calling him out for being a hypocrite but you're right yeah i mean that's they they want him to go further away from them but whatever Right. Um, so the CEO guy peels off a mask. Oh, oh, his wife gets guillotined. Sorry, the, 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 so many things are happening here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the Julian Sands CEO peels off his mask, and it's the son again because he's, he's everyone. Um, right. He's like, you failed my test, daddy. And he gets guillotined, and his head's going to fall into a bucket with a smiley face on the bottom of it, which was my favorite 70s element of this yeah, whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you know what? I like that the sun was everyone because that is what a dream is like. Where, like, all of my dreams always take place at one of the same, one of three locations, and I'm like, it makes sense because in a dream, you know, I don't know, like everyone is your dad in the dream, so you may as well, <laughs> maybe everyone is his son. It makes sense. And oh, I I've heard something that I don't know how scientific it is, but I've heard that 
your brain can't create faces. Um, so when you're dreaming, even if it's someone you don't recognize, it's a stranger that you've seen at some point in your life. <gasps> oh, that's horrifying, kind of. Isn't it? Yeah, like, and I just always wonder, because I, I guess I'm egotistical, I'm like, whose dreams who I have never met do I appear in? <laughs> like, what right. am I doing? Yeah, they looked, saw you on the bus one day, and they, 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 you, they, now you're like a guest star in their dreams every so often. That's yeah. very funny. Isn't that wild, though? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I, I hope it's true. <laughs> I read it like, when I was 12, probably, and I just have held on to this forever. Um, yeah, so cut back to reality. He really was stabbed going to his car. It's another one of the Owl Creek Bridge-type episodes that we get on this show. Um, then we're back at... He does die. The son's like, no, father! Um, mm-hmm. And I guess they they reunite in his death. Um, and then Freddy's in the guillotine. He says, growing old can be a painful experience. <laughs> I love that that's the theme of the show because I'm like, yeah, that's what kids really relate to. Fear of aging and becoming obsolete. Like, <laughs> it's just such a strange theme for a show that, as, uh, I mean, supposedly kids were watching. Yeah, or at least teenagers, especially given that the second story does revolve around a teenager like most of the episodes do. So, it's it, yeah, it is a strange <laughs> digression for them. <laughs> Yeah, it's very much like we know um, yeah, some of, old so the people half, wrote this episode. Um, <laughs> okay, so this character, I think her name is Christina, and I don't know if it was the audio quality or my ear quality or just the script, but she was called Christy and also Christine, I think. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't get a beat on what we're calling her. I just, I just called her like Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene in my notes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so basically she's a teen. She has a vision, uh, or a dream about this kind of dog pound for children who are being adopted by like some butch rocker lesbians, basically. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. The kids in cages is a little real for real, little too real for me right now, but yes, it it was, it was dark. Yeah, it, it, it accomplishes darkness. So like, mm-hmm. good work. <laughs> um, yeah, and then Freddy's in the corner with a sign that says Freddy, and he's like, do you know who your parents are? <laughs> um, basically, Christina wakes up from this nightmare. Um, she does think that she's adopted just because she doesn't get along with her mom. This is such an 80s storyline for me. Like, this feels like, because in the 80s, I feel like there was just so many storylines about maybe you're adopted, or that was, like, what you would tell your brother, like, you're adopted. Like, it's such a, like thing that I don't know I don't know why it was so important to me then whereas now it like I don't know it, it like it's it's not as relevant for some reason maybe because when you're a kid you think about this way more I don't know yeah no that that joke or it's, it's people wield it as an insult which I have always found wild and yeah, never made yeah. sense to me yeah and yeah it, it, it's definitely playing with that confusing dynamic of of well teens when they hate their parents they kind of want to be adopted and then some teens like viciously don't want to be adopted it's a very complicated thing i think adoption is this kind of magical thing that especially kids don't really understand right right especially at that time i think because there were so many more closed adoptions not to like get into it but I, there were so many more like, closed it. adoptions where as now there's a lot more open adoptions so people you know, they tell their kids that they're adopted and they're like, that's your biological, you know, like it's like less, it's less of a secret, I guess, that you're adopted. Yeah, I guess, yeah, maybe it's that, the idea that kind barely exists anymore of that kind of sword of Damocles of like, they might reveal to you that you're adopted once you turn 18 and you'll just right. not have known about it. 
Right, right. Which I feel like actually did happen to people I knew. They found out very late that they were adopted. Whereas now anyone I know who adopts, they tell their kids. The kids like grow up knowing that information. So it's not shocking. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I I didn't think of it from that perspective. Um, But anyway, so she's worried about this, um, especially because her mom thinks she dresses like a trollop because she wears jeans. So (laughs) you you know. Um, but her mom wants her to wear these American girl dresses that are three sizes too big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're very like eighties, like Ann Taylor dresses for sure, and like a little like Barbara Bush, like something you see Barbara Bush in. Yeah, and I look, I totally relate to Christina here. Is I would not want to wear that. It looks uncomfortable. It is bulky and strange. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, basically her only friend is the misfit, John, who is the same, same name, same actor as the last episode. Oh, and he is, he does talk about his dad dying, but then he talks about how after that he found out that he was adopted. So I was like, okay, well, he, he just had a whole moment off screen that we didn't see. Is that what happened? I could not figure out what, if it was supposed to be the same guy or not. It is. Um, well, see, I'm, I'm keyed into this because usually um, a character carries over from the first half of the episode to the second half. Um, but it doesn't always make sense. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Okay. They, so he is kind of our connector, but like not really. Yeah. They kind of have remolded him to fit what this part of the story needs to be. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So they, they talk about him finding out he's adopted and Christine's like, well, maybe that'll happen to me. So when she gets home, it's truly the most. Which, by the way, I just have to say, it's so yeah. funny that he has this big, like emotional confession to her. And then she's like, well, Maybe that's me. Maybe also that's me. Maybe I'm also in this emotional place that you're in. Which is like, your friend just told you something like really personal. And what she took away was, I don't know, maybe I'm also this. Like, which is such a weird reaction. It is, but I feel like it is an authentic teenager reaction. Good, Um, You know, solid point. That is so true. To just fully process something from your perspective and not really recognize that somebody else has feelings. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the next scene totally mystifies me from a parent-child perspective. So her mom is gone when Christine gets home. Um, she leaves a note that says, dinner's in the oven. I'll be back at 4. 4 <laughs> p.m. <laughs> what? She, you don't. <laughs> she doesn't need dinner. <laughs> um, yeah, what is happening? <laughs> And, and then so she looks at the clock, it's 3.50, so she has 10 minutes, and she makes the brilliant decision to completely, like, root through all the drawers in her mom's bedroom um, in the 10 minutes that she has. Um, and, of course, her mom walks in on her and mm-hmm. says something about, like, you need to respect my things. What are you doing? And Christine storms off, being like, I can't do anything right. And it's like, you well, you I, I guess you can't because this was a terrible decision. Yeah. <laughs> You only had 10 minutes and you kind of should have started with like more just like asking where these this paperwork was because she's looking for a birth certificate, right? That's what yes. she's looking for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she, she storms off to take an angry nap mm-hmm. and um, she has a dream. She's back in the kid pound. She sees John being recalled and he gets like shoved behind a door and blood leaks out from under it. Oh, yeah. And then when she gets back, John doesn't exist anymore. Uh, nobody remembers him. There's a girl in his seat and the teachers, or she's like asking the teachers, she's like, uh, John has always sat there. Where is he? And she's like, I don't remember him. Therefore I can't help you find him. 
You don't want to get recalled, do you? And it's one of the greatest, like, it's such an amazing acting moment where I'm like, what was the note to this actress? Like, the actress is playing it. Like, you're like, does she know? Doesn't she know? But it's very clear, like, the actress is playing it like, I secretly know. And, like, it's <laughs> it's just such a, um, yeah, the, the, the acting choices are fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And, well, you know, in, in acting, you're always supposed to have a secret, right? Or at least according to a certain method of acting. Of course, but her secret is be- she has it on her sleeve. Like yeah, she's exactly. be- we're very aware of that secret. <laughs> like her acting is secret forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, secret forward. Exactly, exactly. Um, but so, so Christine's talking to her mom, and her <laughs> the metaphor here is that they don't speak the same language, um, oh, as presented by her just saying "inka dinka, slinky fondant twinka." <laughs> <laughs> God, what I love about that is I feel like someone in the writer's room or something was like, you know what would be cool is if they actually didn't speak their, like the same language and then they made up a language, which is uh, note to writers, not a great idea. Don't do that. Yeah, if you're not J.R.R. Tolkien, maybe don't. Yeah. Don't try. Um, yeah, so it's, it, you know, as metaphors go, it's, a clunky one, but... Yeah, we get it. We get it, though. <laughs> I, I found the language adorable. <laughs> um, so we're back at the Kid Pound. One of the rocker lesbians turns out to have a Cockney accent. So very, very Charles Dickens all of a sudden. I thought she was Australian. Wow, was she Cockney? I thought... I mean, maybe that's just the tone I was supposed to get. Cause she, or that I was getting because she's like an orphan master. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but I I kind of loved her. Like I kind of was like would like to see more of whatever her story is. Oh yeah, the the side actors here are making a lot of choices. <laughs> um and they're really shining in their 45 seconds that they have. Exactly. Yes. Um so basically she gets like a business card to find her real mom because it turns out mm-hmm. she was adopted. Um, and she goes to visit this house. It's the same house that's that the credits run over that supposedly Freddie lives in. Another one of the sets that they reuse over and over again. Right, um, yes. With, like, red and green windows. Um, but basically, uh, I'm unclear, but this must have been the same actress who played her mom in real life playing this dream mom, right? I could not figure it out. It was the... Suzanne Studebaker, like, southern slut version of, of her yes. mom. Oh, my God. But was got, it the same actress? I don't know. I, de- I was – my joke I was going to make was that it's uh, – it, this. Uh, sorry. If this was now, Jessica Lange would be playing that role. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. She's just, like, smoking at a table. She's like, you're as ugly as I thought. I'm glad I gave you away. <laughs> it was so over the top, and I love that she was suddenly – southern like that that was just like the icing on the cake car i was like wow okay it's like i, I guess she was adopted out of a tennessee williams play 100 <laughs> percent. yeah um so yeah this is the mom she finds out that her dad was freddie um sure um and then it cuts to her making a bunch of stew and the mom's chowing down she's like more food feed the other misfits and so there's just a line of orphan children that are you know dirty it's very people under the stairs now um, yeah and she's feeding the kids and they start chanting one of us but it's not it's not look everybody knows how to chant one of us it's one of us one of us but yeah. the kids are very chipper 
And the emphasis is strange. It's like, one of us, one of <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah, like, no, people forgot to tell them, like, this is from a movie. This is what you're doing. They just were like, just say one of us over and over again in whatever inflection you want. And they sure did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, basically, this is this is the, the dream part where it gets really confusing. John shows up, but then he gets kicked out again really quickly. There's an Albert Einstein poster in her room. I don't remember. I, I wrote that down because I found it strange, but I liked it. <laughs> um, so she wakes up from the dream with this horrible mom, and she's like, oh, I'm back. Um, I will I will redeem myself. This is my Ebenezer Scrooge moment. I'm only referencing Dickens today. I don't know what's happening. It, um, you know, it's, it's apt. It's apt for this episode. I guess so. <laughs> um, so she finally puts on the American Girl dress, and the mom's like, now you look like my daughter. And she's like, I am your daughter, right? And then while she's cooking, the mom turns back into the hag. The hag gets mm-hmm. pushed into the furnace, and then Christine falls asleep again and wakes up in the pound again and then she meets her foster parents and they're also talking in the nonsense language a lot a a lot is happening right right and then it turns out she's just traumatized and like won't come out of this closet wasn't that the end i thought she was just like in her cage or at least in a closet in that kind of orphanage area yeah i don't know i i don't i'm not sure i'm not sure like i couldn't figure out i was like was this all in her head or is this, is she actually, I don't know. I, I don't know what was real and what was dream. I guess you could tell me, like, in these, is it generally dream? Or is it just that reality blurs? Um, the it's generally a, a blurring with a twist that makes no sense tacked on to the end. <laughs> yeah, that, that checks out. Um, <laughs> instead of, like, what, what was Craven did is kind of this circular, like, dream back to reality and you don't always know when they're in the dream but there is a break that goes back to reality like when they're in a dream um but most of these episodes it is a straight line of people waking up from the previous scene just over and over again (laughs) yeah that's what i um that's what i noticed is that were several times where i'm like they keep waking up so was that last scene yeah, like there were the, like the cuts were wrong or something. Like I like I I couldn't totally understand. But I have to say, wait, what is the lady's name again? The main actress? Um, uh, the actress or the character? Oh, the the actress. I actually thought she was good. I thought oh. she did a decent job. Yeah, let, let me scroll back up my notes. I think it's Kimberly. Kimberly Cates. Kimberly yeah, Cates. Kimberly yes. Cates. Who's like now a producer and stuff. And like, I thought she did a pretty good job, Kimberly Cates. Like I was like, with what she was given, which was mostly changing clothes on camera (laughs) and then like having a breakdown. Like I I was into it. Oh yeah. And actually I, I, there are frequently good acting moments in this show. Um, Largely from the women. Uh, Like I think a lot of the female cast really works their asses off, like to make this show exist. Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, she felt like she did a lot with like this role, and like you know, like the guy had this emotional scene that I was like, I don't really understand this, but I like that she connected to it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it became her story. I don't know. I thought she did a good job. Yeah. No, she totally did, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it um, because I've been too I'm too caught up in the the whorls and grains of this plot. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah. So we close out. Freddie's back in his liminal space. He has a bunch of like kids that he's kind of auctioning off. It's 
It's it's a weird scene. He's like worried about credit. I'm not. Uh, whatever. I take trade ins. It's like okay. This is this is too wacky and too grim for me. <laughs> um, okay. So we've reached the end of this episode. Um, final thoughts. Did you find this to be a dream? Was it a nightmare, or did it put you to sleep? Ooh, it was a bit of a nightmare in 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 a lot of ways. Structurally, mainly, it was, it was a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> That'll do um, it. Um, um, you know, in some ways, like the, I mean, I do just love things of this era, and this really leaned into, you know, the the clothes, the choices, the the eighties, you know, um, a, a consumerism. Like, so in that mm. way, it was kind of a dream because I did kind of like. I did kind of like all of that stuff. It's not stuff we get to touch on that much. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. No, I, I totally get that. Cause like, I, I'm also putting this one as a nightmare just because yeah, it's, it's, it is kind of a heap of nonsense. I don't really, <laughs> I've barely have the slightest finger on understanding what's going on in this episode. Um, but literally this whole, like the act of doing this podcast is a dream. Like the getting to experience <laughs> this deeply idiosyncratic show and even the bad episodes, you're like, well, that was fascinating. <laughs> yeah, because you're like, someone thought this was a good idea. And that's what always blows my mind where they're like, they're like, you know what we should do is just have this full scene where she goes and finds this like, you know, the, the mom and the, the horrible, horrible thing about the mom is that she's Southern and she <laughs> sleeps around. And like, that's like, we're like, what? That's not what's going on. Like that's it's not that horrible, and she feeds them gruel. That's that I guess is, and she's dirty. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it was it, it was a good time. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like if you're someone who likes bad movies or you know like silly, campy kind of things, there there it's it's hard to dislike something really deeply. Because mm-hmm. um, whether it's good or bad, you're enjoying it. It's just a problem when it's boring, and this is not boring. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, any last words about this episode before we move forward? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. That was most of my thoughts. That's fair. Um, well, real quick, I'm going to remind everyone, um, every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you. Please help us keep going by donating to the Okra Project. You can donate through the link in the show notes, take a screenshot of your receipt, and send it to w2ptpod at gmail.com or DM it to me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at It's Raining Brands and Instagram at The Burning Clem. Now, Bria, uh, where can we find you, your, your many works, your podcast, all the things? Where can we find all of you out on the internet? Oh, wow. I mean, you don't have to. But uh, if you want to listen to my podcast, which is about books and reading, it's called Reading Glasses. I co-host it with um, Mallory O'Mara, who's also kind of in the horror universe. And... Um, my movie you can find on VOD. It's called 12 Hour Shift. It's out October 2nd. And my book you can find anywhere. Um, it's called Mary. You can pre-order it today. Um, and um, I would encourage that you buy it from bookshop.org because it gives, when you buy from bookshop.org, it actually gives to your local bookstore. Um, and, but it also, you, it will deliver right to your house. So that's kind of cool. And I have left most of social media, but I'm on Instagram still. That's the only one I'm on and it's under my name. Okay. Um, perfect. Um, and yeah, I, I highly recommend listeners check out Reading Glasses if you haven't already. Um, I was actually, when when Bria and I were like connecting to have her come on the show, I was saying this is basically my uh, last action hero moment 
where because I've been binging reading glasses for the past month probably, and it's like she stepped <laughs> right out of my earbuds <laughs> and into my life. It was a beautiful thing. <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, always, you are always <laughs> welcome. Um, yes, our artwork was created by Henry Hall. If you'd like to support trans artists, and you should, you can send them a commission at henryhall.design. Our theme song is Living in a Dream by Pseudo Echo. Rate and review us wherever you get us. And the next episode, which is dropping on Friday, Bria's coming back. And that's actually going to be the day that 12-Hour Shift comes out. So oh, cool. Good reminder. Good um, reminder. But that episode is called Safe Sex. Two virginal teenagers lust after a goth girl who's, who's obsessed with Freddy Krueger. Um, so we are going to talk about that. <laughs> But until then, uh, see you on Friday, everybody. Bye.